You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. All right, welcome Chiefs' kingdom to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast. Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. As always, ready to talk Chiefs in the time of the year where nothing happens in the NFL, at least nothing good happens between this time after mandatory minicamp and prior to training camp, we're just sitting around waiting for Chris Jones to uh, sign a deal, right, Ron? Yeah, that's the only news we want to hear, Stags, at this point. Maybe a luxurious need contract extension. We wouldn't mind hearing about that, too, maybe if that, that were to come down the pike. But, uh, but yeah, as Chiefs fans, we, we know it all too well. Uh, there's a few players that happened to, over over the years that have made some news uh, in this time, and so we always like to stay out of the news in Chiefs Kingdom at, at this time. So we're, we're, we're hoping to have a boring summer here, Stacks. You've heard that nothing good happens after midnight. I think nothing good happens in this month for NFL players uh, in the news. You definitely don't want to hear about it. But uh, how's everything with you, Ron? Did you have a good weekend? Ready, ready to get after it this oh, week? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we got 4th of July coming up. Uh, you know, it's it, it's a good time right now. I wish the Royals would, would win a few more games, so I'd get a little more excited about going out to the K. You know, I mean, summer just summer and baseball go so hand-in-hand, hand, but uh, mm-hmm. it is tough, I, I got to say. I'm a fair-weather fan when it comes to baseball. You're not going to get me out there uh, <laughs> doing what you're doing right now. I, I can't lie, but... Uh, you know, St. Joe's not too far away, so I'll just I'll just save my uh, I'll just save my going to sports events for then. Yeah, the on-field product for the Royals is not uh, what we had hoped it would be for sure. Uh, definitely looking forward to training camp. Had kind of a weird morning myself, by the way. I didn't tell you the story yet, but uh, I woke up. I was making coffee, and I look out the window, and there's a hawk <laughs> stuck in my kid's soccer net. Uh, so I had to oh, spend my. my morning rescuing a hawk from a soccer net, got got him cut out and, and uh, uh, rehabilitated and flying back up in, into the trees. So uh, that was an interesting way to start the day. Oh, my gosh. OK, that's that's kind of funny because I've had an interesting or a, a similar story. Definitely not as uh, not as uh, what's the word, I guess, risky or as, uh, you know, putting myself out there because. I mean, that's a hawk. I mean, I could, you know, he's got talons and stuff. You know, yeah, that's pretty you. substantial talons. It's, it's good looking. It's pretty cool. Bird. No, one morning I looked uh, when I live with my mom. So I looked out because she had a she had a pool in her backyard, and I looked out, and there was a uh, a little uh, mouse or like a, a field rat, like a field mouse, just like drowning in the pool or just trying to get out of the pool. So I was able to, uh, you know, jump out there, like get it out, and like get it in a towel, and you know, it wasn't moving for a while, but. Eventually, it did scurry off, and I was like, "Oh, I just saved a, a mice, a mouse this morning." But 
I would just well, say it's a little, it's, it's a little less heroic than a than a hawk. Because I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's 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 risky. I mean, those things are can be pretty big. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was a little concerned. I wasn't sure how to approach this thing, but it was it was pretty well in shock. I think it it you know, didn't quite know how to handle the getting out of this uh, this net. So. Wow, one, giant, one giant hole in the in the soccer net, but otherwise, uh, I think everything ended up as well as you could expect. Uh, so yeah, that was that was interesting. There's always these hawks that hang out right around my house, uh, right at the very top of the trees. So we hear screeching all the time. But uh, anyway, so stock up <laughs> on saving animals. Uh, but yes, there we go. Love we're, it. We were going to talk a little bit about market movers anyway, so. Uh, this week, uh, hopefully in, in the next day or so, I'll have my regular article published about um, what Chiefs are trending upward and downward at this point in the offseason program. You're through the first three phases, technically, of the NFL offseason program, and you're starting to get enough reports coming out that you can get some ideas on who's heading in the right direction. But a lot of them really are are based on opportunity and, and roster moves and, and things that the chiefs have done that would give you some clue as to how they feel about a certain player. So uh, I'll, I'll throw this out there, Ron, I'll give you one guy that I'm bullish on and you can tell me if you agree or if you have uh, a counterpoint. So number one, I'm going to be bullish on Noah Gray this year. And I think this is a, a player that is, Coming into his own as a second tight end, had a pretty solid season last year, really outperforming what you'd expect from that position in Kansas City. But now he's probably going to be the primary fullback as well. So he's, there's a chance he's going to be on the field more uh, than your average second tight end and more than, than he was last year. He came down with some big catches in the playoff run. Uh, so I'm, I'm bullish on Noah Gray at this point. It seems like he's having a good – uh, off-season program, and he's just got all kinds of opportunities this year. Yeah, that's the interesting part about Gray. You mentioned that he had maybe as prolific a season as we've seen from that second tight end, uh, you know, to to pair with Travis Kelsey in the Kelsey era. Uh, you know, he almost got the 300 receiving yards in the regular season last year on 28 catches. But that's the thing in terms of trending up is is how much up more up can he go? And that's where, you know, at first on the surface you say, well, you know, I want to put him as a trending up, but, you know, I, I think at some point he might be flatlining. He might have plateaued himself last year. That key point about the fullback position, though, I, I think is really important. I think we are still, you know, at this point, we're past all the mandatory minicamp, everything, and we still don't have a true fullback on the roster. I, I, I think at one at one point, at some point, you know, we just got to accept that it's not coming, and, and that's what's happening. I think we all have for the most part, but – you know, Blake Bell is going to is going to help with that, too. I think he's just too bit good of a blocker to not do some of that stuff, uh, some of the fullback things. And I think, hey, if you're going to have him on the active roster as that fourth tight end, you might as well use him in that role. But I think I think Noah Gray's, uh, you know, usage in that role as well. You know, his his third year in the NFL, he'll just be that much stronger as a blocker. He's already gotten good as a uh, better as a blocker. His second year had some good reps there. Yeah, I think I think Noah Gray is someone that deserves to be on that 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 bullish list. I'm actually going to be writing about him and Jody Fortson for the site, kind of looking at their their impact uh, and, and kind of just reminding everybody, you know, how important they were to last year's Super Bowl win and how important they are to the offense in general heading into 2023. Because I think, uh, you know, kind of that secret 
that secret sauce in the Chiefs offense last year was were their multi tight end sets or twelve and thirteen personnel sets. And you know, the biggest reason for that is because Noah Gray was executing his role and so was Jody Fortson. I do feel like maybe there is more upside with Noah Gray than Jody Fortson, which is a weird thing to say just because Jody Fortson has been the upside player for years, right? He's been the under, undrafted free agent that's going to make a big difference and and it's going to make the team and is going to be everybody's favorite player in the spring and the summer because you can see the physical potential there to be just a, a matchup nightmare and a freak. But I think with the way that they feature that second position and that the second tight end position, it just seems like Noah Gray is going to be on the field more, and and Jody Fortson is going to be kind of a niche player uh, unless and until something something changes with their roster. Well, it's it's the key point with Gray is that he can play that traditional tight end role, uh, you know, especially that West Coast tight end role. You know, I I the thing about Travis Kelsey, how good he is as a tight end. You know, a lot of the times, a, a primary, a majority of the time, you know, he's he's making impact in the offense. He's not aligned as a traditional tight end. But that's not but that's not because Andy Reid doesn't want to use a tight end. Andy Reid is from that West Coast offense that really does value the mismatches you get both in the run game and the pass game from the tight end position. And Noah Gray kind of, you know, he's grown into that ability to be a, a plus as a run blocker, uh, you know, in those one back uh, sets where he's kind of maybe just blocking a linebacker, not maybe having to block a defensive end. Right. He's, he can be a plus in those areas, but he can also take advantage of a quick pass and make a linebacker miss in space. He's had a, a few good reps of, of that. He's had a few good uh, solid catch reps. I pointed out on on uh, in, in an article the other day, actually, some plays to remember from last year. You know, Noah Gray had one of the biggest plays of his career on in overtime against the Titans. Mahomes trusts him on a jump ball over the middle, 30 yards downfield. He didn't secure it right away. He bobbled it a little bit, but he did grab it. He did bring it to the ground and, and got the first down. You know, that that's a huge confidence builder, and, and it's cool to see Mahomes confident in, in him enough to give him that jump ball opportunity. Yeah, I, I think Noah Gray is well on his way to, to, to being a, a, an impact player. And if he can continue to grow, it's just going to give the Chiefs even more confidence to maybe spell Kelsey a little, a little more, right? Give him even less wear and tear on the body as the season goes. Absolutely. Now it's tough at this time of year, I think to, to put anybody on the bearish list and anybody trending downward Mm -hmm. just because, you know, it's, it's all hope at this time, at this time of year. Plus you're coming off a Super Bowl championship. You've got a very young team, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of upside left with most players on this roster. So, the, the one player that keeps coming to mind when I think of somebody to put on the Bears list is, is Willie Gay Jr. Because, and it's not because Willie's been a, a bad player or that he's been worse this year than he was the, the previous year. It's really just about opportunity. And again, we just have to take the clues from what we see the team do. And it's not necessarily what they say about a player. Uh, it, it's what moves do they make. And you've got a, gr- a position group at, at – at linebacker for this Kansas City Chiefs team that really, especially down the stretch last year, was pretty phenomenal. You've got Nick Bolton, who's who's become one of the best in the league. He nearly had two, uh, two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, which is just outlandish for somebody uh, like Nick Bolton. Uh, nearly led the, the league in tackles as well. And they draft Leo Chanel last year, who, who came on towards the end of the season a little bit. And then what do they do this offseason just when you think they're set at, at linebacker? They go out and sign a legit starter in Drew Tranquil, somebody who had 
well over 100 tackles last year, who had five sacks, that uh, was known as a coverage player. All of a sudden, you've taken a, a position group that with a lot of question marks, and you've made it into a huge strength, which is great for the Chiefs defense. It's great for the team as a whole, for their depth and for how well-rounded they are. But is it great for Willie Gay Jr., who enters a contract year now with more competition than ever to to make an impact? And, and, and really, most likely, he's going to have competition for snaps, right? Yeah, let, let's put it this way. I mean, the linebacker position in today's NFL, you know, I, I want to say about 70, maybe 75% of the time, there are maybe two, there are two of them on the field only. There are only two of them on the field. Um, and I'd say maybe that 70% of the time there are two. We know Nick Bolton's going to be one of them. Uh, that's that's for sure. There's no doubt about it. Nick Bolton is absolutely going to be one of those linebackers in that formation. And then there's three guys that could be the other guy. And and all three guys have a reason to be that player in, in certain situations. You know, uh, the Chiefs have a, a, a typical nickel defense and that linebacker next to Nick Bolton, the Will linebacker is called the Buck linebacker in that defense. You know, depending on if it's a if it's a rundown, if it's a run situation, if they feel like they're going to be, uh, you know, seeing a run, even if they want to stay in their nickel personnel, they may even want to have a run style kind of linebacker, a run stopper kind of linebacker. But if it's maybe a lighter package, something that they they understand, maybe they need to be anticipating the pass. They'll they'll bring on a lighter will linebacker, right? You know, someone that's more uh, advantageous in coverage. The funny thing about the linebacker group is. You know, Willie Gay kind of is the best of both worlds in that. That was kind of what he was supposed to be, right? That's kind of what was ideally uh, what he was, you know, I kind of, that's what I was was super excited about with Willie is he has that thickness, that that explosiveness downhill to be a good run stuffer, but also the athleticism, the playmaking, uh, you know, kind of moving backwards to be, to be uh, the best in coverage. But then you look at the other two linebackers besides him on in the group, you're talking about Leo Chanel, who I really think his his bread and butter is attacking uh, the run, and I think you saw that, especially in the Super Bowl. You go back and look. I have some clips even on Twitter. You know, Leo Chanel had a great game in the Super Bowl, and it was all attacking the run. He actually did have some pass coverage uh, clips as well. But then Drew Tranquil, the the, the free agent uh, acquisition, you point out. You're right. He is a coverage guy, and and that's what he that's what he did it with the Chargers. You know, the Chiefs have experience seeing him. You know, uh, you know, play in that middle of the field. He's he's made interceptions over the middle of the field. You know, kind of dropping back into those deep areas as that lone linebacker. It's just kind of funny, man. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of things that that point to you know Willie Gay maybe being the odd man out, depending on how they want to rotate these guys around. And I still have confidence in Willie because, like I said, I think he does have the ceiling to be that kind of all that kind of all around linebacker, right? But you know, at the same time, we just haven't seen it really come all together for him. He's had some injury problems. And this team has invested in the position outside of him. So at some point, if he doesn't kind of, you know, grasp of the position himself, it is going to kind of slip away from him. And, and we're gonna, not going to see Willie Gay here in 2024, which is might be a little sad because I love me some Willie Gay. So it is a really big season for him. And, and he's definitely someone that right now it does seem like he's more pointing down than up. Yeah, and again, nothing, that's not a knock on him at all. It's really, it's really just about opportunity, and and again, the team sort of tipping their hand based on on what they've they've done around him. We'll see if he commands those snaps and and makes that impact this year in his contract year, and and is able to uh, to stick around. I mean, I would absolutely love to see him stick around and and have this again be a, a strength of the team, a four deep linebacker group that is uh, as good as any in the NFL. Well, and that's the thing. I think Gay and Tranquil are directly competing in that contract year sense. 
Um, the thing with Tranquil that he has the advantage, in, in my opinion, is that he was a Mike linebacker, kind of that green dot guy for the Chargers. Willie Gay obviously has not been. Uh, we've seen the Chiefs not want to use him in the dime defense. They want to use a Mike like a Bolton, uh, like a, a, a Ben Neiman uh, in the past. That's the thing with Tranquil, though. I do think uh, at the bare minimum, even if he doesn't take Willie's, goal as the will, uh, Willie's role as the will linebacker, he should be able to come in and play that dimebacker position and give Nick Bolton some some rest, not make Nick Bolton this three down 99% of the snaps guy, because I do think that just makes him, you know, not as good on the early downs where he should be a strength. He should be an asset. Give give Nick those rest reps, right? Trust the, the veteran in the in the dime package. Um, he'll be fresh in those roles, too. Right. You know, Tranquil will be fresh because he won't be playing on the early downs. I think that's the ideal situation. You kind of just use everybody in their best roles. And then Leo's kind of just that that fill in wherever he needs to fill in. But uh, there is a chance that that Tranquil is just the better player than Willie, and he just kind of overtakes him overall. Yeah, we could almost call it a training camp battle, and there'll be plenty of those oh, to yeah. talk about uh, in the next month as we approach St. Joe and training camp. Uh, it's also a good time to look back a little bit on last year and and some stats maybe that we've overlooked or forgotten about. Uh, Ron, I know you've you've done some work on this. Uh, throw out some stats to remember from 2022 that the people may have may have forgotten about or, or overlooked. Yeah, I think this is always just a fun way to to kind of think about some things about the team. You know, remember some some strengths and weaknesses about last year's team and how it could kind of maybe change this year. One of the strengths of last year's team we kind of just started talking about with Noah Gray a little bit uh, was the Chiefs' passing attack, kind of in heavier formations. But this one was specifically from under center formations. The Chiefs averaged 10.9 yards per pass attempt and earned 125.2 passer rating when they passed from under center. That's those are some good stats. 11 yards per pass attempt when they were when they were coming out when Mahomes was under center. That doesn't mean play action, but what that does mean is is a lot of those times he's not going under center if he's got you know a bunch of wideouts or they're in spread formations, right? He's they're going to be showing a run look, and that's kind of the thing that that was the the secret sauce. Like I mentioned earlier, is is they really do they really did have defenses kind of forced into playing from their heavier personnel packages at times because the Chiefs were being able to threaten with Pacheco downhill and you know Noah Gray blocking pretty well you know downhill at the point of attack and obviously their offensive line was just already such a good run blocking offensive line and so that threat by itself just Mahomes getting down under center I think did enough for uh, for for to give them an advantage when they drop back in those situations and I think they're going to continue to use that as an advantage now they still run out of shotgun a fair amount, right? So it's not like the, um, you know, it, it's a dead giveaway, but it does feel like at least is more of a threat uh, if you're if you're under center to have exactly. more of a balanced offense, right? Right. Yeah. It, exactly. And it, it's just it's just that kind of it's that extra little layer, you know, play actions that next step, right, where you're actually you know post snap, you know, faking the run, but you're kind of pre snap faking the run there, you know, making linebackers maybe get on their toes rather than their heels. Uh, you know, and that, and, and that's, and that's where it kind of, or get on their heels, I should say, rather than the toes. But my next stat though, was, was pretty fun. Uh, Travis Kelsey related. Uh, he's always fun to talk about. Travis Kelsey had 10 touchdowns in the red zone. And that was three more than any other NFL player had last year, uh, caught, uh, receiving wise. Right. And, and that just tells you that he was just such a mismatch, uh, you know, and, and even when he was really the primary weapon in the red zone, I mean, you know, you knew he, you know, you knew where Mahomes was going to go a lot of the times. 
he still caught caught it. McKinnon himself had had uh, I think it was seven touchdowns in the red zone as well. They were just a red zone machine. He also was a league leader in receiving touchdowns from inside the ten yard line. Eight of those ten came from inside the ten. So that's the thing is the Chiefs run game wasn't very effective. Maybe at punching in drives, the Chiefs passing attack kind of made up for it a lot of the times and. You know, there's not really a reason why that should change this year if teams want to sell and 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 cover Kelsey and double team him. I mean, they tried to do that last year and it still didn't work a lot of times. But if they really want to try to sell out this year, I mean, the Chiefs have a lot of weapons and Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, uh, you know, again McKinnon, guys that can maybe take advantage of getting the ball in their hands quickly and 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 punching it in. So I, I think Kelsey's going to have another big year in uh, in the red zone, and so that's just a striking stat there, Stacks. It's interesting too because you don't think of if you think about the all-time great tight ends and who is a red zone threat, that's sort of been a knock on Kelsey in his career is that he wasn't the big – he wasn't Gronk. He's not Gronk in the red zone, right? Yeah. He's, not, he's not a go-up-and-get-it-necessarily jump ball kind of tight end. Um, he's catching a lot of those shovel passes, and a lot of the critics are going to say that that's, a, you know, that's, that's an asterisk next to those receptions that they're – Sometimes these little shovel passes or these little trick gadget type plays, but but the fact is that he is a threat to punch it in every single time in the red zone, whether he's going up and getting it or or it's it's from behind the line of scrimmage. No, that's a good point because you're right. I think you know in his early career was he was the hey you get it in his in his hands and he's gonna you know get yak, but he you're right he's not gonna be a go up and get it. But uh, I think, at, and it's not like all of his red zone touchdowns were going up and get it, getting it. A lot of them were him manipulating zone coverage. Or, you know, the funny thing was, people would try to double team him, and he would just, you know, manipulate them both to the point, and Mahomes would just be on the same page, and they would just get to the right place, and you there was nothing you could do about it. And that's the frustrating part about Mahomes and Kelsey. But defensive side of the ball, I think this one is just a refresher, just a reminder to everybody that this Chiefs defense did finish not only with the second most sacks in the NFL last year, but with the fifth highest team pressure rate last year. And I think that just is a reminder that this team knew how to get after the quarterback. This team knew how to, how to you know, disrupt opposing passing attacks. And we've talked about it a lot this offseason, Stags, me and you. It's not like this pass rush group is getting any necessarily worse. You know, there's guys leaving. There's guys coming in that may be less experienced. Maybe we don't know exactly what they're going to look like yet. But it's not like we, you know, it's not like we felt great about what they had last year compared to what they have this year. They still have Chris Jones, you know, the 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 bomb in the middle. Obviously, Carl Loftus in that second year. We're gonna see what we have in Omenihu, Felix and Udike Uzama. But I just think with the blitz on top of this too, I think that's an important part of this too. I think one stat I put in the article was that the the 18 of the 55 sacks from last year were accounted by the blitz. I think that's just a huge part of this and just a reminder that. This team knows how to get after the, the quarterback. Spagnuolo knows how to manufacture the pass rush. But there's a chance that, you know, it, it could it could you know be elevated this year depending on how they, what they get out of their first-round rookie and uh, Menehue, again, who's kind of this X-factor guy that we're excited to see. Yeah, Menehue is, is probably still underrated as an acquisition. And if he pans out the way that you think based on his career arc, I mean, he's a legitimate threat to get to double-digit sacks this year in addition to what they had last year. And really all you've lost is Frank and, and Carlos Dunlap is now talking about maybe coming back, or at least there's some, some chatter yeah, about true. that. You, you, you've got a lot of options there. And FAU is probably the best, you know, all around prospect that they've had in house 
at the edge position in in the Andy Reid era. So there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of upside there. And you're right though, the blitz. You got Legarius Sneed. You've got McDuffie. You've got a lot of players uh, in the secondary that are great blitzers. And you added Tranquil uh, from that linebacker position yeah. as well. Um, there's there's really not a player on defense that they that Spagnuolo can't send uh, in, in any given time. Yeah, I know Tranquil can blitz as well. I think Chanel, uh, you know, at, at the same time could maybe, you know, his role could maybe even evolve to where he's more of a situational rusher more uh, this year in certain packages. The, the elusive Sam rusher that we've been wanting forever, right? I'm, I, it's coming. It's coming. I think so. I think Spags is going to bring it out. Uh, no, we'll see. One more stat before we move on that I think is important. This is on the negative side. The Chiefs defense allowed 4.9 yards per carry on first and 10 runs. And so I don't have a league ranking in, in terms of how bad, bad it was compared to the rest of the league, but Sags, I think I think you can you can relate or you can understand that you know giving up nearly five yards per carry on first and ten is, is not good. Um, and it needs to be better. Um, and I, I really do think the 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 most of the fault here goes to the lack of beef on the inside on, of, of what of the defensive tackle position. You know, obviously Chris Jones a lot better against the run last year was was much more of a dominant force on every down. But that nose tech position or nose tackle position, that one tech that Derek Nadia has filled uh, over the over the years, it has just not been it has not filled the role it's needed to, and it has not helped his young linebackers who. Hey, I think Bolton has been really good in his career, but I think we all need to understand that he's not perfect yet, and and it's not going to help him when his nose tackle is getting you know uh, you know blown two, three, four yards back into his lap. That's not going to help him process anything. That's not going to help him get to the ball any quicker. And so, and Willie Gay's in that same realm too, and Leo Chanel's in that same realm too. These linebackers need, especially in these in this one gapping system, these linebackers need their defensive tackles, their defensive linemen to hold their gaps in order to, for them to shoot their gaps and make their plays. And so that's where I, I do want, I do think the nose tackle position needs to be better. I'm excited for Keandre Coburn. I think he could have went higher in the sixth round. I think a lot of this, a lot of the annoying part about his, you know, as we get close to the season, we're going to hear, Oh, he's a sixth round pick. You know, you can't expect him to start or, Oh, he, you know, he's, he, he shouldn't have been a sixth round pick. I think he could have been a third or a fourth round pick. Um, you know, I, I think he has that capability to play right away. So um, I do think Coburn is, is our savior here. I'm hoping he can maybe, you know, get that beef uh, going right away, you know, uh, bring it to bring it right away. But hopefully it lights a fire under Naughty's butt too, man. Cause I, I'd like to see him get back to his form. I think at one point he was, he was the perfect kind of nose tackle. And I just think he may, he maybe fell off over the last couple of years. Yeah, your defense is put in a bad position if they've if they've already halfway to the first down on on every in any given yeah, uh, yeah. series. That, that's, that's really not going to be an effective defense. Period. And and so, not that I really care that much about stopping the run, but I think when it comes to uh, when it comes to early down to putting yourself in manageable third down situations, uh, they they need to improve there. And yeah, it does start up front. It's a, it's certainly a team effort there, but you got to think that they invested at least a little bit in in the defense up the middle to to address that situation, along with some of the other issues that they've had up the middle in in short pass coverage. Uh, I, I think you've got uh, some guys, and you got some aggressive safeties now. I, I think they've got some some potential help all the way up the middle of that defense that could make a difference this year. 
Yeah, and that was a point I made too. I, I mentioned the linebackers maybe getting impacted by the defensive tackles, but you know that go that trickles down all the way to the safeties too. I I think when when your running backs are able to hit their holes with momentum because their tackle, you know, because the defensive tackle is getting uh, you know blown off the ball. You know, I think he gets momentum into the second and third levels, and it's hard to tackle a running back if you're Justin Reed and Brian Cook. If the guy's already got a full head of steam, man, you you you're, you got to help him slow down and let these guys, um, you know, get there and and be the ones bringing the force, not 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 taking the force. So, just some stats to remember. I I, I do think I do think it's always fun to look at the numbers, but we have more numbers to look at Sags in a different way. Because you know it's it's ranking season, right? You know it's always it's always uh, the summer is always a good time to throw out some rankings, some position rankings, and that's what PFF did. They actually ranked the NFL uh, at every position. They looked at uh, you know quarterbacks. I mean, every single position they looked at the NFL rankings. I think they ranked thirty-two at everyone. Um, and I just kind of went through and looked at where they had ch- certain Chiefs, kind of what positions ranked where. You know, I, we don't need to go through all of them, but, uh, you know, one that stood out to me right away, Stags, I will say, is uh, besides Mahomes and Kelsey being number one at their positions, interesting that the PFF didn't think the Chiefs had any top 32 wide receivers on their team. Uh, Kadarius, Tony, MBS were not able to crack the top 32, which, you know, I think maybe makes sense uh, when you think about 32 wide receiver ones in the league, even though it's not necessarily how it works. Were you surprised by that at all? Is there any other notable takeaways from these PFF rankings? No, I think that makes sense. Again, you you look at the Chiefs wide receiver group and you say there's a lot of guys who could contribute, but there's no clear-cut wide receiver one who would go to another team and be their number one receiver. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think prior to the season, I don't think that that's unfair. You know, Kadarius Toney obviously has that potential, but you can't put him him there yet at this point in his career given what he's done. Uh, It's not – it's not really logical. So no, I, I don't hate on them for that. I mean, PFF rankings are always interesting because, you know, we love them when they agree with us, we hate them when they don't, but um, to see the chiefs offense have three number one players at their position, I think is notable. Uh, you know, Creed Humphrey being the third uh, after or Kelsey and Mahomes. Uh, I think that's, you know, that looks true on film you know it looks right i mean you've got there's a reason this is a dominant offense and 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 there's other guys who who deserve to be in the conversation and you can see that you know both of the guards are top 13 in the nfl i mean i think that's pretty uh that's pretty significant that's you know really saying that more than half the league doesn't have uh, a player better than the third best interior offensive lineman the chiefs have uh, I mean, I think that's uh, that's pretty substantial. You know, they're obviously the the tackle rankings are probably a little more controversial, right? Yeah, I thought the offensive tackle ranking was pretty funny to me um, because it's a little hypothet or hy- hypocritical, and I'll and I'll say it here. Jawan Taylor came in as the Chiefs' only offensive tackle on the list at number twenty four, and I just thought it in- found it interesting that Orlando Brown Jr. came in at number fourteen for them, ten spots higher. You know, not to say that Junior uh, Brown Jr. doesn't deserve that ranking at all. I just think Taylor isn't 10 spots worse than Brown. And, you know, I think Orlando Brown is a, a very high floor player. I, I do think that is true. Um, and I think that might be why he does deserve to be pretty high on the list. But the thing with me that I thought was funny is, is they kind of mentioned it even in the piece. You know, they, they mentioned Taylor having a good pass blocking grade, but, but uh, you know, not having a good run blocking grade and that really dinging him. 
you know, Brown is, is almost the opposite. And, and a lot of PFS metrics, right? We talked about it all last year. He was leading, you know, pressures and sacks and quarterback hits for offensive tackles. You know, isn't that way more important in PFS size pass blocking? I thought that was the whole point. I thought, uh, what are we doing here? Um, and, and that's why I like Jawan Taylor so much is because I do think we can trust him, you know, to be more dependable against those pass rushers. You know, hey, I, Andy Heck will teach him up and the rest of that. And so I think that is a pretty egregious ranking right there. Um, again, I think Brown deserves to be ranked pretty high, but I think Taylor, I think they're, they're kind of lowballing Taylor for being good at the things that they want him to be good at and, and not being as good at the things that they, they've always said they don't care as much about. So that's just PFF. Hey, maybe, maybe some of this really is a homage to the Chiefs offensive line coach and the fact that Brown just came off a full year with Andy Heck and, and he's up to 14 and Taylor hasn't had his time with Heck yet. And uh, maybe, yeah. he, maybe he's got a, an opportunity to move up there. I mean, Taylor is all about pass protection and uh, athletic ability, uh, uh, whereas Brown's just again completely the opposite. He's a he's a run blocker who's very very limited athletically. So to have the uh, to compare the two does feel a little bit of you know apples and oranges. But I uh, you know I think Taylor's obviously an ascending player. I don't know about Brown at this point in his career. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, it's probably not completely unfair, but it is. It hits, it hits odd when you see them uh, side by side there. Well, another one that I found funny, uh, now that I'm looking at it even more, Isaiah Pacheco came at number 21, um, which, you know, I do think is pretty high praise, you know, being that high. You know, there's a lot of running backs in the league that deserve some praise. A lot of young running backs that have come in the league um, over the last couple of years. But they have him ranked over Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, uh, Jamal Williams, um, you know, that's that's the the main guys right there. But I thought that was pretty good praise for him. But I, I, I don't know. I think I would rather have me a Joe Mixon. Uh, you know, I, I, I know uh, I know that that, uh, you know, he hasn't been, you know, an all pro or anything. But, man, he is a stud of a player. I think I think as a receiver, you know, you can kind of just use him as a straight up receiver at times. You know, Pacheco runs hard, man. But uh, I, I do think PFF's given him a little more love uh, than than maybe I think than I I. You know, I I think they're kind of a little bias, a little recency bias on on PFS mm-hmm. part here because uh, I don't know. I I love me some Pacheco, but you know, I'm taking Joe Mixon, even Miles Sanders maybe um, over Pacheco. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, both of those guys are a little bit more featured in their offenses than than Pacheco has been to this point, right? Um, but you yeah. know, Pacheco I think fills his role really really well and adds something that this team doesn't otherwise really have or hasn't uh, up until this point. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty fair ranking. It's a pretty good ranking for him. I, you know, his health is a little bit of a concern at this point, the fact that he hasn't done anything yet in the offseason yeah. program. I, I'd like to see him back on the field, uh, you know, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think he should be able to improve upon that ranking the, this year. I also noticed, obviously, Chris Jones, number two on interior defensive line. That's probably one too low. Uh, you can say he's top two and he's not number two. Right, when it comes to the way he played last year, uh, and then Trent McDuffie, I think, has a chance to move up in, in these rankings along with Legarius Sneed. They're both ranked in the mid twenties uh, for corners, which isn't bad. I mean, that's obviously saying that they're better than the best corner on a lot of teams. But uh, I think there's there's still so much more upside for McDuffie. He was excellent as a rookie, and and really just sky's the limit there. And Sneed, just the best all around. 
you know, he's the best blitzer. He's the best tackler uh, in the league at his position. Uh, I, I think he's probably he's probably still a little bit underrated. Oh yeah, are you kidding me? I mean, I, I there's not 25 corners I would take over Legarius Need in the NFL. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, I know he's not your traditional cornerback, and you know there are times where you can see why you know maybe he's not a traditional cornerback because maybe he's not the greatest at, at being a traditional cornerback. He definitely needs to be used as more of a, a, a Swiss army knife kind of, uh, you know, used all over the place, you know, obviously as a blitzer and, and run defense, he's so good, you know, in the box. It is kind of a weird thing where, you know, yeah, maybe if you're ranking him as a traditional cornerback, he's not going to be super high, but you know, it's not what we're, where we're at in the NFL today. You know, the slot cornerback is, is, is more important than, than the traditional outside role. And, and if you're a slot, you have to blitz. You have to be able to do some of those things, you know, uh, help fill against the run. And he does that. So, yeah, I, I think he needs to be higher on this list. I'm surprised PFF of all, you know, some, you know a, a database with all that, those stats, all the numbers, he, all the little, all the box score things he fills in every game. I'm surprised they have him that low, honestly. You know, I always said about Apple iPhones that they were great at everything except for being a phone. Uh, so as long as you're not trying to talk on the phone on one of those, they're, they're, they're pretty sweet devices. Oh, gosh. So maybe Legereus Need is the iPhone of corners that uh, he's, <laughs> he, he's been – he's elite at everything except for maybe what you would traditionally uh, associate with the corner as being uh, just completely sticky in coverage. Now, I say that, but then the Chiefs go and assign him to the, the top receiver – uh, on the other team a couple of times last year, and it worked out pretty well for him. But you're right. Look at the the stat line for Legereus Need in 2022. Played all 17 games, started every game, three interceptions, uh, you, you know, returned him for 57 yards, had 11 passes defended, three forced fumbles, recovered a fumble, um, had uh, three and a half sacks, and over 100 combined tackles five tackles for loss, five quarterback hits. I mean, he really just did everything for the for this team. And, and any one of those numbers uh, would be a good season for a, a lot of corners, and, and he kind of put them all together. Yeah, he led all NFL cornerbacks in sacks last year, yeah, with that three-and-a-half number you mentioned. Um, so weird that he's 26th best cornerback when he's you know one of the best at something that a corner you know that some cornerbacks need to do but it is, it is what it is uh you know some other disrespect for Chiefs players I was surprised we didn't see Justin Reed crack the top 32 for the safeties that's ridiculous that's disrespectful to me um the safety position is not super strong in the NFL right now and Justin Reed is absolutely one of the top 32, if not one of the top 20, top 15. This makes me almost want to go back and look again, because, like, how is he not in here? Um, but, you know, I'm, I, I, will, I will go ahead and do my due diligence, and he's not. He's just not. He's not the in there. also you know? had no edge rushers in the top 32, along with right. receiver and safety, the three positions there. You know, again, we talked about the edge rusher position. This is a team that had the second most sacks in the NFL last year, and – and they don't have one edge rusher that would start, you know, as the number one guy on any team. Yeah, and that's a little more understandable, right, with where they're at. Karloftis, you know, we're hoping is on this list next year. And and you're hoping Felix obviously maybe gives an argument to be on it. Um, Omenahue is just, you know, maybe you make the argument he's not, you know, a traditional edge rusher. And that's not, you know, that's where he comes kind of in a weird position on this. But 
you know, I, the safety one is just, uh, you know, Justin Reed. I mean, widely regarded as a is one of the top safeties in the free agency class last year. Um, you know, started every game last year. I mean, wasn't good, wasn't great for most of the year, but down the stretch was was absolutely turned it on and became a difference making player, especially in the playoff run. Man, I, I if I'm Justin Reed, I'm feeling disrespected by that. I, you know, if if he felt disrespected by disrespected by me last year, this has got to be uh, this has got to be a pretty disrespectful feeling. I got I Justin Reed's got some uh, some material to work with this year. Absolutely. We'll tell you what. This is a good time to get a word from our sponsors in, make, pay a couple bills here, and go to break. Uh, but I think Ryan, you had a instead of a would you rather this week, you wanted to do something a little different. Yeah, it's like a little riddle. A little riddle for the people. Let's see if they can uh, they can get it. Uh, guess that chief. It's almost like Pokemon, you know, back in the day. You know, they had a little silhouette. Oh, yeah. uh, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with a little audio silhouette of 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 this former Chiefs player because he was one of the last good picks by General Manager Carl Peterson in Kansas City. Didn't take him long to get going in his first year. He scored three touchdowns in his first four games. And he went on to have a notable career, but only ended up with one Pro Bowl and only got to spend two years with Andy Reid. Who am I? Answer that on the other side. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back on the Out of Structure podcast. Thanks for hanging with us in the Chiefs offseason here. This is Matt Stagner back with Ron Cop Jr. And he's trying to stump me with some <laughs> back-in-the-day Chiefs knowledge here. Uh, Ron, one more time for the people who, who are just joining us uh, again, the scenario or the, the uh, former Chief profile. All right. I was one of the last good picks General Manager Carl Peterson made in Kansas City. I didn't take long to get going my rookie year, scoring three touchdowns in my first four games. And I went on to have a notable career, but only made one Pro Bowl and only got to spend two years with Andy Reid. Who am I? Stags, do you know? So when you said one of the, the first name that came to my mind, which was wrong, I, I guarantee it was, uh, was Jamal Charles, uh, who, who, was a great draft pick, only got to spend a little time with Andy Reid. Um, but I believe the the answer to this is uh, 
uh, is Dwayne Bowe. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's kind of the that was kind of the tease was was you would kind of go right to Jamal, I think, when you kind of hear all of it. But the one Jamal that's the thing, the one slow in the, his career, right? Right. And the one Pro Bowl season does kind of give it away because Jamal definitely made a few Pro Bowls. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, there you yeah, go. I, Bo, you know, is is one of those guys that his career arc was was kind of strange, and uh, I, but he hit, amassed a lot of numbers over a lot of years. Uh, definitely underrated and kind of forgotten when it comes to Chiefs wide receivers. Yeah, no, he was the last good first round pick. Carl Peterson made one last one. Uh, I think the next year he picked Glenn Dorsey before getting canned. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was that was the other hint there. Yeah, I remember the Glenn Dorsey pick being a surprise and, and somebody that, like, all right, he wasn't supposed to be available, but he didn't really fit what you wanted them to take that year. Right. They tried the uh, square peg round hole thing for, for a while with, with, with Glenn Dorsey. I guess, you know, that the rest of that draft was good, so I guess I can't say it was, you know, the last good pick he made. The 08 draft, you know, that's where they got Jamal. Or was that 09? Maybe 08. 08 was Brandon Flowers, was Brandon Albert, was – uh. Some good ones in 08. So 08, got a, got a shout out 08. Absolutely. That, that was a stellar draft class with, you know, after Dorsey, yeah, Brandon Albert, Brandon Flowers, Charles. Um, now some of the, some of the later round picks didn't really pan out, um, but it, it turns out that, uh, to get your two starting corners from one draft, you know, something that hasn't, yeah. uh, hasn't happened since until, uh, oh yeah, in, until recently Boom. with the yeah, so all Look right. Well, as we start talking about uh, your questions this week, once again, we've stolen some questions that we saw on Twitter just because we thought they were interesting. This one from at Chief Storm Two, the old, the classic start one, bench one, cut one, uh, but with three of the greatest quarterbacks of all time: Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. Ron, I'm going to let you go first. Start one, bench one, cut one with those three greats at quarterback man this is this is real tough to start one uh you know i i work on a chiefs podcast i refer a chiefs website and i have been going to chiefs games since uh before i could remember so should i pick a chiefs quarterback to start i believe so i will pick patrick mahomes to start and he's he really is just the one to start um but this is the interesting one the bench one cut one because you know obviously you're not playing whoever you're benching, right? I mean, this is the whole question. You're benching one of them, so they have to be on the bench. They have to be a good teammate, right? They gotta they gotta be good with the clipboard, with the with the uh, the bill, the hat on. I think that's Peyton Manning. I think you got to cut Tom Brady. Here. I think you got to cut the goat because what is his winning gonna do from the sideline? Nothing. It's, if he's not playing, I don't want him on my team. He's just gonna, you know, he's just gonna cause a distraction with you know, his model girlfriends and his, you know, his, uh, his avocado ice cream and his, crypt, <laughs> his crypto fraud, fraud cases. So I think, I think we're going to go with Patrick Mahomes, Peyton Manning and kick Brady to the curb. Yeah. You know, at the risk of being boring, that's, that's the way I was going to go as well uh, for, <laughs> for maybe similar reasons, but definitely, I mean, it's a tough, this is a tough scenario because if you've got two great quarterbacks, you, you don't have any, right? Like there's, there's, it's kind of a nightmare scenario to have a backup quarterback that 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 is that great uh, in some ways, just because you know there's always going to be that 
that pressure, that tension. Uh, it's obviously a big waste of resource to have either one of these guys on your bench. Uh, give me a uh, give me a trade one instead of cut one here, and and uh, let me get some. Let me instead of bench one, like give me give me give me some resources out of this. Yeah, <laughs> for real. No, seriously. No, I I think Mahomes and Brady are the two that like you just can't bench really. Like I I think Manning was the one that like okay you, you can bench him. You know, he's he's going to just be your your OC. You may get annoyed because he's probably going to run the show from the sideline, but he's not the one playing. But Mahomes and Brady would would be so restless on the sideline. They'd probably eventually just go play another sport. So, yeah, I mean, all three of them are just elite competitors. So benching any one of them is going to be is going to be brutal. So, yeah, that's that's a tough question. I I enjoyed that, though. I thought that was interesting uh, when I saw that on Twitter Uh, from Black Elf 19. Great question asker uh, of this podcast. Your favorite Chiefs teams of the Mahomes era and what made them so special? So we have five Mahomes era teams to talk about. So let's just rank them top to bottom. Uh, Ron, give me your number five, the worst team (laughs) or your least favorite team of the Patrick Mahomes era. I think anybody that doesn't say this team is lying to themselves. I think front to front to back, start to finish, this season was the most painful, most annoying of the Mahomes era, and that's 2021. That is, you know, the year that ended in the AFC Championship at home against the Bengals. That's the one that featured the lull in the season where it looked like we forgot to Patrick Mahomes forgot how to play quarterback and Andy Reid forgot how to play call offense and. They got blown out 27 to three against Tennessee. It was like the first time the team has ever had ever lost by more than eight in the Mahomes era. So many things about that year sucked. Um, and then, and then it, 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 you know, a few other things, you know, the last year of Tyreek, you know, you hear about kind of maybe how he was demanding more in the locker room. I mean, I could go on sag. So I, I don't know. Do you agree with me on, on 2021? Yeah. The mostly the way it ended sure that they were 12 right. and five that year, which is actually, somehow the worst record that they've had in in the Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes era. Um, but yeah, the way that ended, not just losing to the Bengals for the second time that season uh, and losing in the conference championship after having a big lead, but also the fact that it was a Patrick Mahomes meltdown that ended that year. I mean, it, you, I hate saying that out loud, but like he failed in that second half yeah. of that game. Uh, it wasn't a full team collapse. It wasn't a, you know, shootout that didn't go their way. They could have and should have won that game and been in the Super Bowl uh, had Mahomes been able to make literally one more play in that entire second half. Yeah, no, I did bear the lead. You're right. The, probably the worst part was how that ended. I just – I remember not – it just didn't even feel like reality that Mahomes had choked that – I God, I hate even saying it, but – yeah. Just gave it away that bad. So I, I think you're right. I think that is the headliner. And, it hurts. and that's no doubt the worst one of the bunch. So for number four, I'm going to go with the run it back season in 2020. Um, this was, you know, the hanging on for one more year, not making any changes. Uh, you know, this was COVID uh, and just a weird season all the way around. You know, not a lot of fans in the stands, a lot of uh, uh, odd you know, players missing time for, for COVID positive tests and exposure. I mean, it was a, it was just a tough year anyway. Uh, but then yeah. to try to run it back to just cruise through the regular season and then have it all fall apart uh, in the playoffs with injuries that uh, uh, that's, that's a frustrating one. And that the Super Bowl that year was such a disaster from beginning to end 
it is, you know, we say, we say now, and it may be revisionist history that it was just, Oh, the, the offensive line fell apart and that's why they lost the Super Bowl. But they were dominated all the way around in that game. Couldn't get anything going on offense. Couldn't make, get a stop on defense. I mean, it really, I really feel like that was a complete and total buzzsaw they ran into in the Super Bowl. So that was a pretty frustrating year for a lot of reasons. I would agree. 2020 was my number four as well. I, the COVID thing is, is the big deal there. I think you just, you just remember back to that year, like, you know, the Browns playoff game is pretty memorable, I guess, because Mahomes got hurt. But, you know, is, is the Bills AFC Championship that memorable? You know, I mean, were there really memorable times that year? I mean, you know, I know obviously they almost – I mean, they lost to the Raiders, and that was their only loss until they sat their starters in the last week of the regular season. Um, but, you know, that was the year they had. They were famous for going, what, it was like eight or nine straight games without covering the spread. So if you were betting on them that year, you were hit, pulling your hair out. So – yeah, not a lot of good about 2020 besides the the wins, which we sound like we are so spoiled right now. <laughs> we are ridiculous, yeah. but you know that that's true. If you if you look at a 14 and two season and say that it's the fourth best out of five in the last five years, you're gonna uh, <laughs> your your 18 year old self or 15 year old self is gonna be yeah <laughs> gonna be angry uh, based on what we saw growing up. But but yeah, you're right. So many of those games were won by a field goal. There was. Uh, just a number, you know, 17 to 14, 22 to 16, 27, 24, 35, 31, 33, 31. Uh, even uh, if, uh, even if they were up too, they, they, they would be up in the game. They would be, you know, beating teams pretty good. And then it would, yeah, they just let them back in at the last, I, I remember just being such a, you know, especially as someone that was kind of getting into betting that, you know, a little bit that year, I just remember it was such a, it was so funny how they just could not hold the spread they could just not, they could not do it. Well, I think after the the fourth ranking, uh, getting to the number three is when they really you can really say these are some all time great Chiefs years. So uh, again, if the fifth place uh, year was a year that they um, lost in the AFC Championship in, in overtime, and the fourth place year is a year they lost at the Super Bowl, um, it's a little ironic for me to say that the third place for me is is 2018 um, when you know, it's Patrick Mahomes' first year as a starter. They lost in the conference championship, but they were such fun to watch that year. Uh, that offense uh, was just taking the league by storm. Uh, sure, the defense struggled, but it was that was a really fun year and one of my favorite teams, uh, Chiefs teams of all time, just because it was it was just you didn't know when the fireworks were going to happen. You knew that they were going to happen, though. Yeah, that year. That was just, yeah, I mean, from the get-go, right? I mean, the Chargers game right off the bat, um, you know, Tyreek has that big play, but Mahomes just has a few throws where it's just okay. I mean, I mean, even that Tyreek play was kind of a crazy throw, kind of uh, no look that's slant a little bit. Then he goes, has six touchdowns against Pittsburgh the next week, has the Chris Conley, you know, running all around play an arrowhead, you know, in his first game in front of the home crowd. I mean, oh, I – I There's could go so many on. moments that you think about the um, the Denver Broncos left-handed pass. Yeah, that was uh, the next and, week. Yeah, it's every yeah. week, right? Yeah. And then a few weeks later, you've got the the greatest regular season game of all time, uh, the loss to the Rams, fifty-four to fifty-one. Uh, and then two weeks later, they come back and beat Baltimore on that long bomb to Tyreek Hill. Uh, <laughs> and that's. So, I mean, it's just it was every week. 
no, that Ravens game is a great example of one that will will probably get buried pretty deep in his catalog of great games and great kind of performances. But I mean, that fourth and nine play that was also the game he kind of had a few of those no looks across the middle that that you know we still see every time his highlights pull out. But I don't think people talk. You know, that, that's a game that kind of you don't think about as much in, in all time Mahomes games. But I mean, that was that was an overtime game. Um, very fun game. I remember being at that game. Uh, very, very crazy Mahomes game that will, will probably be underrated in his career. Yeah, and then the, the loss of the conference championship that year, you know, they weren't expected to necessarily beat the Patriots uh, yeah. at that point. But, you know, there was a uh, there was this feeling that, like, if Mahomes got the ball last, then they might have a shot, and, and, and he didn't. Uh, you watch from the sideline uh, while the Patriots did what they do, which is just enough to win. Yeah, no, I, I, this is just funny because 2018, I mean, you know, we're just reminiscing now. I mean, it is my third, it is my third as well. Um, but you're right. I mean, we're picking it over a year that we went to the Super Bowl and another year that, you know, we went to another AFC championship, lost in a similar fashion, actually almost the exact same fashion, right? As, as 2018. But just the newness of 2018 obviously is going to get it up there, but it, it obviously cannot beat the two Super Bowl years, can it? It cannot. So for me, I've got number two as 2019, the first Super Ooh. Bowl uh, run. Uh, this is the obviously the the one that that really changed everything about franchise history and and going in the the long drought, uh, winning that Super Bowl with that team and, and the confidence that those guys had, uh, the way that you know with Frank Clark and and, and Tyron Matthew leading the defense. Uh, you know, right after they came back, they came back after that 2018 season, really rebuilt the defense. And this was the year it, it paid off. Uh, that was a, you know, obviously a magical season for, for a lot of reasons. But uh, that was uh, that was a pretty incredible Chiefs team uh, for, for for history's sake. Man, yeah. No, it is tough, right? This is like picking between which of your favorite Royals teams in that run, the 2014 or 2015 team, you know? I mean, just just two just really obviously, you know, fun runs to be a part of. But 2019 is, is my number one. I mean, I'll obviously, you know, I'll spoil it there. Uh, 2022 to me uh, was was very fun as well, but there's nothing like 2019 where, first of all, that was my first year writing for the site. So, I mean, there's a little special, special there too. Uh, kind of first time, you know, professionally, uh, you know, blogging about the Chiefs. They bring in Steve Spagnolo. They bring in the veteran defensive players like Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew. You know, they bring in, uh, you know, uh, just well, I guess they don't bring in anyone on offense necessarily, but they kind of just, you know, Damian Williams gets added to the mix. He becomes the, you know, kind of the, no, he was there in 2018. I guess on offense, they didn't really add anybody, but defense they did. Offense, they they kind of tightened up. And, uh, man, I just felt like, you know, that playoff run, the Texans game, the Titans game. I mean, that Titans game probably still is the has two of the best arrowhead moments ever with the Mahomes halftime right before halftime touchdown and then the Sammy touchdown uh, to pretty much seal it towards the end of the game. I mean, there's nothing like that to go to the first Super Bowl and, you know, in that long. I mean, 2019 has got to be number one, man, that that Patrick Mahomes run is is pretty close to my number one all-time play for him. That was, I know. Uh, you know, just absolutely out of his mind there. I'm scoring that touchdown, leading that comeback, and, and really getting getting that team on the road to the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, that was incredible. I, I ranked 2022 above it just because I feel like they weren't expected to win the Super Bowl that year. Um, they are so young at this point uh, and, and really had so much to prove and, and to get it done this year. And you still feel like there's a lot of upside with this 2022 Chiefs roster. Um, they still went 14 and three, won the AFC West again, obviously, uh, as they always do. Um, but you know, it was a the the evolution of the defense, the the rookies on the field in the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm just got a I just got a soft spot in my heart for this group, just because they just you know played their hearts out, and and really, it's when Patrick Mahomes evolved into a more complete quarterback. Uh, played through the, those injuries, the heroics in the in the Super Bowl uh, and, and in the conference championship, you know, limping around, making plays, making the final run to seal the game, you know, uh, on on one leg. Like this was this was a pretty gutsy performance by Mahomes to go along with uh, the the really promising and fun, you know, youth movement that happened this last year. Uh, maybe it's recency bias, but but I, I'm I'm pretty high on that 2022 unit. No, I will give you the fact that you know 2019 it did almost feel you know even before the season it's like okay like it's it's inevitable this Mahomes Chiefs team is going to win a Super Bowl it's just a matter of when. But it, there is something too you know you're never guaranteed two obviously no matter how good you are I mean we've seen quarterbacks you know obviously never win any that are really good so. There is something to the fact that he was able to get that second one and probably the year that he was, they were likely probably, you know, doubted the most outside of obviously the first year he was, he started. So I, I, that is, that is a good logic behind it because they were definitely way more of underdogs this year than they were in 2019. And, and that's the other point though, is yeah, getting that first one is special, but if you had, if, if you had done it the other way, or if, the, if this 2022 season had gone the other way, then you'd have a team that won a Super Bowl and then lost a Super Bowl, lost an AFC championship, lost a Super Bowl. You'd be trending in, a, in not a great direction, and and you wouldn't have the same – you'd have that worry that it was going to be an Aaron Rodgers situation where they won one and never won again or, right. uh, you know, a, a Buffalo Bills situation where they're always right there and, and didn't, didn't win. So now all of a sudden everything's back on the table. Dynasty's back on the table. Uh, you know, two Super Bowl wins in the last four years sounds a lot better than two Super Bowl losses and one win, right? So the, yeah. it is a, uh, it's really, um, it really def- redefined the direction of this franchise for me. And again, to do so with a young roster and the ability for it to just be getting started and not not feel like it's ending. Uh, this team is not getting old. There's no, you know. <laughs> There's no end in sight at this point, and now it feels like a dynasty, and and it and it wouldn't have if they didn't win in 2022. Well, I mean, in fact, they've gotten even younger uh, this offseason. So, I mean, t- I mean, you know, obviously the rookies are gaining another step, but they've shed it even more veteran kind of fat off the mm-hmm. the the you know this roster. So excited, man! But yeah, no, I, I like that. That was a fun little little uh little ranking there i i it was good to reminisce on the mahomes era we are we are lucky as chiefs fans we are we are more than lucky i'd say 
Yeah, if the worst season was a, uh, <laughs> you know, was was that that year. I mean, it's it's uh, you're doing all right. All right, Ed Jake for now. Our guy, true or false? The Chiefs' early returns from recent draft classes increases the appetite for leveraging contract year performances and potential comp picks. And the, the follow up here is: Does this does that answer still apply even when it's a marquee player like Jones and Snead, or they? exceptions to the rules so the way i read this question i think it's a good question because you think about how some of the great franchises have been built around this league over the last few years some of the best drafting franchises some of the ones who really know how to build a roster those old patriots and and raven teams that were able to stockpile talent in the draft let players walk a year early and get the compensatory pick for them and use that pick to stockpile talent in the draft and and continue this thing rolling. I, I think I think that's still the right way to do it. And I think this team is finally positioned in such a way that they can. And they've shown over the last couple of years that they don't have to hang on to veterans for that last try to squeeze that last year out of them. They can let Tyron Matthew go. They can let Tyree Hill go. They can let Frank Clark go this year and and really just backfill with youth. It says a lot about the coaching staff and how they're developing players. Uh, and it says a lot about the GM as well, that they've been so successful in the draft. So I do think that they're starting to get to that point where in with a couple exceptions, you can replace most uh, uh, most of your players that, that walk. Yeah, no, I think it's just about being smart about positional value, right? Paying the guys that are harder. It's simple as this. It's paying the guys that are harder to find in the in the draft you know as, as good as Legereus Sneed is as, as special as he is as a talent we've talked about him quite a bit this pod you know this team just drafted two cornerbacks or three cornerbacks excuse me that were all able to play in the starting defense at some point to contribute to a Super Bowl champion and one of them is a first round pick that you're going to be able to trust and maybe you know uh, uh depend on to grow into this defense and be your number one corner you're gonna have to think about paying him at some point and you have these other guys, but the point is, you know, the cornerback position, you know, is maybe a position that you could think a little more about, uh, you know, uh, drafting and, and developing through that. We've seen this team do it over and over. You don't find Chris Jones very easily. You don't find good pass rushers very easily. And so you just got to be smart in that sense. And Chris Jones is an elite pass rusher. So easier to decide to pay him, not let him go. Sneed, on the other hand, you know, he's someone that, you know, as, as, as unique as he is as a cornerback, as, as good of a player as he is, you know, that position itself, they've just proven that they can find guys, and they're t- still attempting to pr- uh, find guys. Chamari Connor is another safety in that same mold uh, that could do some of those things. So I think, Snead, I think you just got to be uh, situational situation smart on these, and, and this, this one's kind of a, an easy example of that. I do think Chris Jones might be the real obvious exception there. He's – Number one, really, in the league at his position. And he's not so old that he's declining. I think he had his best year in the NFL this last year. So you, I think you, you pay Chris Jones. Sneed might be, the, might be a guy who I, I would love to keep around, but he might be somebody that, that could walk or could be a trade candidate. Uh, again, please, I, I'd hope that they surprise me with a contract extension for Legereus Sneed. I just, you know, I just feel like, just to your point, that they're – there's a chance that they are confident enough in their ability to draft defensive backs that they're just going to take the, take the pick and run there. 
Yeah, and it's something we gave Veach for Veach crap for, you know, a lot of his his tenure, um, you know, not investing in the cornerback position. But now he's got the first round pick in Trent McDuffie. Now that's high investment, right? Uh, Legarius Need, you know, was a fourth round pick, but has developed into this player now. I mean, you can think about it. You know, you can think about uh, continuing to have an elite player, uh, you know, someone who does something elite at his position. I would say Legarius Need is, is it fits that description. Maybe you don't want to call him an elite player. Um, so. I do think there's a good argument to be made to sign him, but at the same time, if you're if you're talking about trying to be smart about these things, cornerback is probably one of those positions. As important as it is to have the lockdown corner, you have that with Trent McDuffie now. Now maybe you can think about okay, we can just fill the rest of the cornerback room out with with uh, cheap veterans and dra- draft picks uh, because you're trying to save for the other more important positions like pass rusher, like offensive tackle, like receiver like quarterback. <laughs> well, speaking of receivers, uh, George Burgers at Frankit. Let's see. Frank, Frank, Frankito Reynolds. Frankito <laughs> Reynolds. My, my bad. Uh, That's always sunny. <laughs> why, why can't we cut MVS to sign Nuke Hopkins if we were going to cut him anyway? $10 million is a lot for no catches in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's a deep threat, but he averages 40 yards per game for his career, even with two all-time greats as quarterbacks. MVS seems like a nice guy, but he's not keeping any DCs up at night, and we're paying him the same contract as Justin Reed. So, Ron, what do you think about this idea of of cutting MVS to clear space for Hopkins? Well, let's let's get some facts straight first. Uh, you know, if you, if you do want to cut MVS this year, you will have to eat some money in order to do so. Um, he does have, you know, a a dead cat a dead cap number, uh, you know, up in the number of, as I pull it up, 10, it is 10 million. million. <laughs> so close 10.4 million dead cap. Uh, and so you're saving roughly $500,000 when you cut him and you owe him still 10 million that it would be on top of signing Deandre Hopkins to a contract. So no really uh, sense in doing that. Um, the other part of this too, to me is that obviously they're, they're two different styles of receiver. MBS's role in this offense is important at the current moment. You know, they have a lot of guys that can get the ball in their hands quickly and make some plays. When you talk about Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, Rasheed Rice, all those guys are, are guys who want to get their ball in their hands over the middle uh, in space. You know, they don't necessarily have that, that deep threat, that, that vertical threat, um, you know, on the projected 53-man roster. Obviously, there's some guys kind of floating around in the fringes that could do it. But MBS is that guy, and – you know, that's that's another thing I kind of pointed out recently in a recent article is, is you know, MBS was fifth in the league last year in yards per catch. And that was with a lot of times some miscommunication or just not being on the same page with Mahomes on the deep balls. I mean, if you remember last year, there were times where Mahomes would overthrow him. There were times where Mahomes would short arm him. And Mahomes would even talk about that in post game. Just say, you know, hey, I just have to let it rip there. I just got to trust him. I just got to feel it better. That just comes with muscle memory. That comes with uh, you know, playing more with the receiver, running routes with the receiver more. I think there's a chance a deep threat part of MBS's game gets taken to, uh, you know, just it takes another step this year with kind of, you know, having more of a chemistry with Mahomes. And so when you put that all together, I think MBS does have a, an important role in this team. He's the only veteran receiver on the team. Um, so I think he needs to be on the team. And, and so this question kind of becomes irrelevant. But I really appreciate the question, George, because I did want to talk some MBS before we get out of here. Yeah, and I think the the contract just – 
basically solidify, just ends the, the debate right there. I mean, you, there's no way they're going to take on $10 million in dead money to save 500,000. It, it just doesn't, it yeah. just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if the guy was, you know, an absolute, if he just got arrested for murder or <laughs> something like that, then maybe, but like, there's really not uh, any on field reasons that you would see that you would make a move like that. It just doesn't, it doesn't clear up enough cap. It doesn't help you sign Hopkins. It just, it's just really taking a veteran off the off the table and, and paying him ten million dollars not to play for you this year. Um, his contract puts him right in the middle of the league of, of receivers. It's not uh, out of range at this point. Uh, it's really one of those how much you have to pay a solid veteran and free agent. And free exactly, agent. it's just how it works. The Chiefs have gotten pretty cheap by by having a bunch of rookies on their team. He's one him and and uh, Justin Reed, as you pointed out, are two of the you know, those middle of the road veteran contracts uh, uh, left. And then everybody else are, you know, rookie deals that are, that are coming up uh, for extensions and, and things like that. So the contract ends the discussion, but uh, on the field, he showed his value in that AFC championship game uh, yes. when he needed to step up. He did. I, I'd love to see more out of him this year. And, I, and early reports from the offseason program are that he and Mahomes seem to be more on the same page uh, than they were last year. Uh, we'll see if that's just talk uh, or if it shows up in camp and in the games as that starts over the next month or so. We'll get some more answers there, and we'll see how this wide receiver room shakes out. It'll be one of the most interesting positions to watch in training camp. Really, it is every year just because they're throwing against, uh, uh, you know, a lot of times they're throwing against air and you get to see some highlight plays. But we look forward to that process. I look forward to talking with you all more as the offseason progresses. And as we get into the regular season, it's going to be a lot of fun. So stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast, on the whole Arrowhead Pride podcast network. And definitely check out Ron's work uh, and ours on the website at arrowheadpride.com. Tons of content, even when there's not a ton going on. So uh, for Ron and Matt, thank you so much for being here uh, and sticking with us. And we will talk to you again soon. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.